Welcome to the Pessol. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Bill O'Reilly. I can't do it. We'll do it live. We'll do it live! Now let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to the Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Elm Valley Hotel. For a quiet getaway during cherry blossom season, enjoy your stay at Elm Valley Hotel. And be sure to visit Dana during karaoke night. Welcome everybody to the Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we are filmmakers who like to break apart film to analyze it and discover what we can about the movie going process. Like, what's it take to make a film? What did they mean when they said this line? Does it tie in thematically? Does the camera work play in, you know, in harmony with the themes of the film? Yeah. So there's just a lot that we do. And all of this is coming from the perspective of us as filmmakers, actors, and obviously big nerds. <laughs> That's part of what we do. And speaking of which, we are joined by a third big nerd. Uh, big welcome nerd. everybody, Clyde, to the show. Welcome, hey, buddy. Hey, Clyde. <laughs> hey, guys. Man, super excited to have you. Um, you're, I've, I've told the story a, a few times now, but um, you and Key have your own podcast. Y'all have the uh, This Is Us podcast. And now you have also uh, Key and Clyde, Great TV, Good Talk podcast, which originally started as uh, pilot watching, where y'all just yes. watch pilots and discuss them. Like during pilot season, there's like a thousand pilots that get made and y'all like to, uh, that. this has always amused me about y'all's viewing habits and everyone has their own things they like to watch, but y'all have always been big on like, not just watching pilots, but kind of analyzing and seeing, hey, is this going to have the, the legs to go? Do you hope this goes? Or do you want to watch this again? What makes for a good pilot? Uh, and so y'all put out this podcast and I was just seeing what y'all were doing and listening. And I was like, man, Todd, we got to do this. And so y'all were a pretty big part. There's some other, you know, influences, but y'all played a major part of me believing. Yeah. You know, maybe we could do this too. So big props to that. But how is the, uh, how are the podcasts going right now, man? It, it's going great. I mean, we spent a lot of time on our, this is us uh, podcast. It's in its final season. And so I mean, it's going strong. We've got an active kind of listener community who we like to engage with. And it's, you know, it's it's bittersweet. Like we're having a great time, but we also are aware that it's coming to an end. So we're kind of in that that last ride. And I think that's going to be exciting for us to be able to do some different things and talk about different shows. And then I'm I'm also doing a bunch of Star Trek stuff with a bunch of other like sci-fi nerds where we're talking about all this, this Star Trek. So I look, the, the podcasts are fun. You know, I think the best part about it is you're just talking about what you, what you'd be doing anyway. Right. I just get to do it with a bunch of other TV nerds with a bunch of other nerds who are listening. So it's great. It's we're nerding out over here. I'm having a great time. Oh, that's awesome. So, wow. Yeah. You got like at least what, three, four podcasts going. Um, Something like that. Yeah. So once I didn't realize this was the final season of this is us, uh, are y'all going to keep that podcast active and, uh, or just let it sit there on the vine? I think we're going to let it sit. We'll have to see what, what the community does. Um, and then we have to decide whether or not we want to pick up a new show. Um, I mean, that's really how it started. You talked about kind of pilot watching. It was one of those things where we were reviewing pilots. We were going to like TV festivals. And when we saw this is us, it was kind of like, this is amazing. And, you know, Key talks all the time about there are all these people talking, but nobody talk, was talking together. And we kind of decided, well, let's 
let's jump in here. That way, one, we'll have fewer conversations saying the same thing. We'll just bring everybody together and say it once. Uh, and so we'll see if there's something else that really kind of sparks us in a way that says, let's commit to a, to, to a show, to a podcast about it. So who knows? Do you, do do you have a specific pilot that you're really excited about? I don't know that, that I've seen or you, I don't know okay. that I've seen anything lately that's been that's blown my doors off and just been like, oh man, I got to talk about that. It, it happens from time to time. I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know. I have to think about that with Todd. But yeah, there's every once in a while I get a pilot where I'm like, this is absolutely amazing. I just I don't know what it is yet. Hmm. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean that's tricky just because. This Is Us is a network show which has the benefit of running 15 to 25 episodes a year. And most of the like blown away shows, right? The great stuff is coming on premium subscription or one kind or another. And so those tend to run like eight to 12 episodes max. And it's inconsistent. It's not like, you know, right. you have this nice schedule that you can post uh, an episode to. Instead, it's just like, oh, here's one shot. Do you just want to do like one episode or randomly break it up into eight um so like ted lasso you and i and todd are all huge fans of i mean that would make some sense to me but i'm i'm wondering does the premium factor weigh into whether or not y'all decide to jump into something like that so i mean you're, you're hitting on all the buttons right so one when we look at it and we, we've because we've tried a bunch of this stuff and it, it like not aired it but we've tried some binging like so when you've got a, a a streamer like netflix or amazon prime that just releases everything at once that's hard because people watch it at different times right so it's it's you can do an episode by episode but by the time you get to the last episode people have been done with that series right if it's good um and so that's one thing and then you're right the access so truth be told there was a big decision when we first started because we were like we want to do an after show because pilot watching or great tv great talk was cool because we pick what we want to kind of like you guys you talk about the pilot you'd analyze it and you'd recommend hey i think you should go check this out or you know look you know wasn't for me when we decided to do an after show we were looking in the two shows that we were looking at were this is us and atlanta Right. And we loved Atlanta. The thing about Atlanta and why we ended up with This Is Us was access. Mm -hmm. Right. Because Atlanta was on FX. It was a little harder to get to it, you know, and we were it also was probably a little intimidating because you really have to have chops to analyze some of the stuff that they're doing. And so we went with This Is Us because we said, look, it's going to be on network. It's going to be on NBC. Everybody's going to have access to it. Mm -hmm. So we do think about that. I love Ted Lasso. That's probably my favorite show right now, like hands down. I, I don't want to say ever, but I love that show. I'd have to think long and hard if I wanted to do a podcast on it because I'm selfishly enjoying it for me. <laughs> right? I totally get that. Um, but, but that being said, Apple's got some great stuff. And some stuff that is thought-provoking and has enough meat where you can talk about it. The issue is, how many people have Apple TV Plus, right? Like, I'm, I'm kind because of, I was talking to somebody just the other day, and I was referencing The Morning Show. And there was a scene from The Morning Show that I, I, was, I was using as an analogy. And I was talking to someone, I was like, well, do you have Apple TV Plus? And I'm like, I, I think I had it at one point because I bought a new phone. But I was like, so you probably haven't seen this, right? Like, I've just been watching The After Party. 
right? Hilarious. Okay. But I'm still looking around and going like, who's got it? Or swagger. Look, I can go like, I, I listen, <laughs> full disclosure. I used to work for Apple. I was very skeptical about this endeavor. Like <laughs> Apple getting into the TV making business. I'm not so sold on this. Selling my shares. I was. I'm not going that far. Like, not, <laughs> oh no, to those. But I was. I was kind of like. I don't know. This is. This will be interesting. I'll, let me see how it goes. And hmm. I got to come back and say and eat my words. I, I listen. I like what they've done. I don't love everything. I'm not watching all of their stuff because you know. Some of that stuff is a little too dark for me personally, but I can't say that it's not really well done and thoughtful and they're putting out some really strong content. So I'd be interested in doing some of their stuff, but to your point, like, I don't know how many people have access to it. So it'd really be a, it'd be a passion project, Hmm. right? So I was, I'm doing it because I want to do it. And those are, those are kind of the best projects because you guys know, to put on a good podcast is work. People don't understand how much work it is. So let, let me just pause and say kudos to you guys. Cause you know, you talk about like kind of being nudged by us. Let me tell you, you have no idea how many p- times people have called us up and said, Hey, I want to start a podcast. And we've spent some time talking them through. Here's what you need to do. Here's the equipment you need. This is what you want to do. Podcast never, ever sees the light. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And so for yeah. you guys to not only do it, but to keep doing it is, man, hats off and congrats to you guys. Cause, cause it's, it, you love it, but it's work. Like, don't, don't get it twisted. It's work. Yeah. The benefit of course, uh, is like you said earlier, like we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't enjoy it. Like, uh, it's, it's really nice to get on here and just talk with your best friend about a movie that you just watched for better or worse. Um, usually for better, but not always. And it's, yeah. It, it makes it so much easier, and especially now that Todd is across the state and I don't get to see him as much, this is like a guaranteed way I can get some Todd time and just catch up, talk, you know, shoot the breeze, and, and also maybe I can learn something. Uh, and just the back and forth is always really good and something I look forward to, um, especially during COVID times when you, human act, uh, contact was at an all-time low, and I was like, man, I need something. I'm introverted, but even I have my limits. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what I'm curious, Todd, what's kept you going? This is our 180th episode by the release. Yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, I didn't think you would hang on. I thought it would be me having to go recruit another like uh, co-host at some point because Todd was just like, dude, I can't freaking keep this up. But I under- underestimated one, your battery. You have a much larger battery than I do. So <laughs> that's on me and my myopia. Um, but what, yeah, I'm just curious, like what keeps you coming back uh, doing this with me? Yeah. Well, one is I get my West time for sure, especially during COVID, just like you said, it was just really good to connect with somebody outside of my immediate family and, and do something that felt like, like a, uh, a routine hmm. that was outside of the house. Uh, but we were doing this a couple of years before COVID. Yeah. So really it was the conversations that we had that like, it really made me fall in love with movies. Like, look, I've always enjoyed movies. I've always liked TV shows. I've always liked, you know, that kind of entertainment, motion picture entertainment. I've always liked that. But I, I haven't really loved it until we did this. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So I've just learned so much from talking to somebody else, talking to you about these things and that 
you know, about camera movements and how that changes how you feel a shot, right? I honestly never thought about that before this podcast. Not too much, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't really know why. Mm-hmm. And and what a, what a 35 millimeter would do, you know, from far away or close up or what an 85 would do, you know, like, and those kinds of things. And then acting in general, I mean, you're an actor, Wes, and so you pointing out a lot of things about, oh, when she, the way that she said this line really hit me. And I'm like, oh, it hit him. Why did it, why did, why did it hit him? Oh, and, he, and then you explain it to me. I'm, oh, yes. Okay. I see it. And so I see that performance differently. I, and I think that this movie is that we're about to review is a really great example of something that like, you know, four years ago, I would not have seen in the same light. Hmm. Watching this movie now after doing this podcast, 180 episodes, I can honestly say I could see this movie in a completely different way than I would have four or five years ago, for sure. Just at, in a in in a movie making capacity, whether that's directing or acting or 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 cinematography or whatever. So yeah, I, I think it was just that I started, you know, after several episodes, and it was just an excuse to go see another movie, <laughs> right? It, give me a reason to go to Alamo uh, <laughs> any any week, and I'll do that. Okay, tell me, yeah. So then it was like, hey. Uh, to my wife, baby, I, I'm sorry. I've got to go to Alamo tonight. We've got a podcast tomorrow and we're doing this movie. You know, can you just watch the kids? And uh, it just became an excuse to like get out. Right. Uh, and then, and now it's the same. It's like an excuse to sit down, especially when you, when you have more responsibilities, you get older and you have lo- so many things you're, you're trying to do in your life. No, you know, like I have this responsibility, not just, not just as a thing that I do, but as a thing that I do with my best friend. Um, I have just this responsibility to Wes to take this time to watch this film, to to like analyze it internally and then report back, you know? So yeah, that's the long version of that answer, but that's, there's more, but that's, that's yeah. a good one. Wow. That's dope, man. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. and same, like I, the number of times that, you know, you come up with an insight that isn't thought out, like you, you definitely come to every episode with, your perspective and I can see the internal analysis at work, but even as we're just hashing things out and you just drop like a nugget out of nowhere, I'm just like, Oh God. Yeah. I've, and I can still recall moments, you know, over the last 180 that I'm just still like chewing on at night. Sometimes I'm like, God, where did that fucking come from? But you know, the cool thing about that is that it's, it's really based off of, off of a conversation that we have, right. We're like, a lot of times I didn't, you know, I don't come into the conversation with that idea. You'll say something and it'll trigger a thought in my head and I'll think, oh yeah, then because you said that, then I'm thinking this. Does, Clyde, does that ever happen with you in your podcast or do you come pretty, you know, like scripted out? So, I mean, l- listen, I'm a preparer, right? So I like to prepare. <laughs> um, so I'll come to the podcast, especially This Is Us, the benefit of being on a podcast that you don't produce like Star Trek is it's like candy. Like I, I just, I watch an episode and I just show up and talk. It's, it's playtime. I enjoy it. Like that's a different thing. But for this is us where I'm also a producer. Like I'm, I'm thinking about, well, what am I going to say? And how did like much like you guys are talking about, I'm going, well, how did this make me feel? And so I'm taking notes and then on the rewatch, I'm, I'm, I'm looking back and trying to catch things. But the power of discussion, right, 
And so when, and we do a, we do a, a YouTube live, a Facebook live session. And so we have listeners who are actually in our chats live with us as we podcast. And so what happens, you know, Key and I are having this discussion and she'll say something. So one of the things that we do is in our show notes, we try really hard not to look at the other person's notes on what, and what they're going to talk about. We may say, Hey, what are what are the points that stand out to you? So very generally we'll talk about this scene or this theme, but that's about it. That's just so that we don't have, we both don't have the same area, but we're, cause I don't want to see what she's going to say. And that way I, and the other thing that I do is that we have a lot of listener comments. And so listeners know they have about 48 hours. Sometimes, you know, they may have about three or four days from when we we've watched the episode to when we go live. One of the things that I do is I don't read any of the comments because I'm experienced them live. And so when I look and somebody comes in and they say, well, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a veteran. And so this element that they're talking about hit me this way. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I didn't see that. And then it starts to spark something in me or, you know, we've got a character on the show who is blind as it happens. One of our listeners is blind. And so she's constantly coming in and saying, that wouldn't work because of this or, oh, I really like the way they portrayed this. And and then I'm responding to it in the moment and it changes how I see. There are times where I've come in and said, this is how I think on this. And by the end of the podcast, I've reversed field because either the co- my co-host or the listeners have said something that has given me new insight, new perspective and changed the way I look at it. So I think that absolutely happens. Like when you're having this discussion, you're growing and that's amazing, man. Wow. Dude, I'm excited. Um, let's, let's jump in. Todd, what are we covering today, man? Yeah, today for our 180th episode, we're covering Guess Who's Coming to Dinner from 1967. So if you haven't seen that, please pause this episode and go watch it. I believe it's streaming on Apple Plus, but also on Stars if you have Stars as well. For sure. We'll cover a bunch of things. Um, definitely, I want to look at some of the cinematography, the way they use eye lights and how they break the 180 rule. And I will define what that is for those who don't know. Um, we'll also look at some of the story and writing, how they set the stakes, um, the heart of the real issue of the film um, and what... and what they're getting at and also contextualizing art, right? This is 1967. Some of the language is certainly outdated. Um, and it's worth having a discussion about, uh, what that means now in, you know, post 2000. Uh, and of course I also, I'm really the whole reason we're doing this episode is so that I can finally hear, uh, Clyde's thoughts. There's so many reasons and I'll, I'll jump into that, uh, later. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hear his thoughts and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. A couple's attitudes are challenged when their daughter introduces them to her African-American fiancé. Directed by Stanley Kramer, written by William Rose, cinematography by Sam Levitt, starring Sidney Poitier as John Prentice, Catherine Houghton as Joanna Drayton, Spencer Tracy as Matt Drayton, the dad, uh, Catherine Hepburn as Christina Drayton, the mom, Isabel Sanford as Tilly, uh, Cecil Kellaway as Monsignor, Bay Richards as Miss Prentice, and Roy Glenn as Mr. Prentice. You listen to me. You say you don't want to tell me how to live my life. So what do you think you've been doing? You tell me what rights I've got or haven't got and what I owe to you for what you've done for me? Let me tell you something. I owe you nothing. 
If you carried that bag a million miles, you did what you were supposed to do. Because you brought me into this world. And from that day, you owed me everything you could ever do for me, like I will owe my son if I ever have another. But you don't own me. You can't tell me when or where I'm out of line or try to get me to live my life according to your rules. You don't even know what I am, Dad. You don't know who I am. You don't know how I feel, what I think. And if I tried to explain it the rest of your life, you will never understand. You are 30 years older than I am. You and your whole lousy generation believes the way it was for you is the way it's got to be. And not until your whole generation has lain down and died will the dead weight of you be off our backs. You understand? You've got to get off my back. Dad, you're my father. I'm your son. I love you. I always have, and I always will. But you think of yourself as a colored man. I think of myself as a man. So there's so many great little clips that I, I debated on pulling out of this movie. It was never a question I was going to use that clip, but there were just so many others that I wish I could use. Like the the one where Joey, Joanna, and her mom are ironing, and she has this great little moment where, Mom, did you ever experience such a thing? She's like, well, falling in love with your father didn't take as all long as 20 minutes. 20 minutes. <laughs> Which is a great little moment. And then we cut straight to... Uh, them outside um, John and and the dad so there's so many great moments and so but I'm really glad to be covering this because I cannot tell you how many times this movie's come up in conversation with Clyde and he's always had like a thousand factoids and usually he's the one that brings the movie up I'm I'm pretty sure Uh, but I don't know that I've ever really heard how you feel about the movie itself like I assume you like it but I don't even know that for a fact um, because you just have so many interesting things and that you know about the film uh, and the, the, the context of what's happening on just between cut and action uh, or uh, between takes. And so, man, lay it out for me uh, before you get to all everything you know about the film. How you even do you is this is this a good movie to you? OK, so to, to give you some context, um, when Key and I first started our pilot watching podcast, one of the things that we would always ask, kind of a, a running theme, we didn't start out this way, just kind of took a life of its own, was we were big fans of the TV show Lost, right? If you've seen TV show Lost, they have this swan station, this underground kind of bunker. And and, and this was something where somebody would be, in da- be down in the swan station forever, basically, right? So you got a limited amount of media. So kind of a running theme would be, is this something that you would bring into the swan station with you? Right. What would be if you could bring 10 movies, if you could bring 10 TV shows, what would you bring into your bunker, into your swan? swan The desert island. Right. Idea. Right. Here's the thing. We could have a long discussion about what you guys might bring and I could have long philosophical discussion of what I might bring. 
this is the first choice on my list. <laughs> okay. So full disclosure, I, there's some things I love about the movie. There's some things I don't love about the movie. There's some things that I think are somewhat interesting and problematic, you know, from a cultural standpoint, but this is probably one of my all time favorite movies, period, end of statement. And comma and Sidney Poitier is my favorite actor of all time. You talk about factoids. I got more because I happen to just, you know, one of the things that you may know is that he passed away uh, about a month ago. Um, right before his 95th birthday, which is going to be February 20th, um, he, he passed away, which inspired me to read a second biography about him. So I'm in the middle of reading his, his, the second autobiography about him, and I'm just fascinated by him. So to answer your question in a word, yeah, in a word, Wes, yes, I love this movie. What pulls you in about it? Like, what is it about the film that, you know, speaks to you on such a level that this is top pick uh and you know you're you're just so in love with it what's hitting you uh with this so i i love a good what i call a good black and white joint right like a good black and white film um a classic it just feels a little quieter calmer we're not looking for special effects it's not a there's so much that it could have but right when you look at this age it was really about the dialogue the acting uh, the cinematography that was happening and when i look at this it's got such an interesting topic that i think is still relevant today you've got some heavyweights like some real like mount rushmore of acting like in this film and also for me some of it's a little bit nostalgia right mm -hmm. so when i remember when i saw this movie i stumbled across it it wasn't like someone told me about it which is the best those are the best movies to find is that when you don't know anything about it you just happen to be you know hanging out on a saturday afternoon turner classic movies is on and you're like what is this that's what happened and lo and behold i'm looking at this this african-american man who is playing a role very different than what you see often on on cinema and just I loved it like it was it was someone f that was so rich so three-dimensional uh the way he moved the way he talked the clip that you showed was him having conversation with his father who he greatly respects and admires but had to confront like these are things that I was able to identify and go, wow, it's one of those moments where you look up on screen and you're like, man, I want to be like that when I grow up. That's what responds to me. And, and I thought that it would be dated. I thought that, you know, the 17th time I watched this film, I would go like, okay, you know, uh, I see it's good, but no, like I probably didn't need to rewatch it before we, we took this podcast, but I did. And I'm watching it and going, and I immediately thought to myself, and I turned to my wife, I was like, how do you think my daughter needs to be before I can watch it with her? Like, I'm literally enjoying it moment by moment. Like I said, there's some things that I look over and go, I don't know about that. Um, but I'm watching it, and it, it is watching history. It is a, a really thoughtful look at history. And then when I think about where we are, right, almost 60 years later, the topic of conversation and the views aren't that different. That to me, man, that's, that's art. Mm -hmm. That's when you, 60 years later, and they're making really interesting arguments that you could, that, that will help you understand the world we live in today. That's art. 
So yeah, that that's why this movie stands the, the test of time for me, is that it it just holds up. Yeah. Wow, Todd. So I have no idea. This is your first time. I assume this is your first time watching it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But are you the the odd man out on this one, or did this work for you? <laughs> so it, yeah, this is the first time I've I've seen it, and I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I kind of knew what to expect. I knew what it was about, right? Mm-hmm. Well. In a, in a broad sense, I knew what it was about. And I think it's about a lot more than that than what I initially thought. But so I was worried about going into it and, you know, like, oh, man, it's, you know, it's a timeless film. I really I hope I like it. Right. Mm. I hope it it's from the 60s. I really don't like movies made in the 60s. I'm sorry. I just don't. I, it's not <laughs> it's not a time where I'm like 60s and 70s. You could just throw them all away for me. Like most of them. I just am not a fan. So I started watching this with the with the idea that I wasn't going to like it and to be okay with that, right? I don't have to like it because it's a classic. Mm-hmm. And I got into it and you know it started and I thought I'm not sure if I'm going to like this, right? Just not sure, okay? Cuz I'm getting ready and you know getting into the vibe. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought so once they once they got to the house and we saw Catherine Hepburn immediately. I was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> I was like melting. She's incredible. I mean, every line that she delivers feels like it was delivered yesterday. Right. <laughs> it feels like she's, you can, uh, so uh, Joanna's performance feels very sixties to me. Hmm. It's very like, I'm going to say this line because it is in the script exactly this way. And it doesn't feel like that for Catherine Hepburn, for Sidney Poitier, for, uh, 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 Spencer, Spencer Tracy, Tracy yeah. for for all three of those and Monsignor. I mean, everybody feels really, really amazing. Sidney Poitier puts on an absolute freaking clinic. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of another perf- performance that you know. I mean, whether it's 50 years old or a year old, that I felt so in. in uh, like enveloped in and it's hard for me to do that i'm and i know there are other performances that are amazing and if you throw one at me i'd probably be like yeah that's 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 to par with his performance but it was just incredible and i i did i looked and Catherine hepburn won an academy award for this but i don't think that Sidney portier did and i don't know who who did he lose out to because who the hell the same year <laughs> could have done something better as a male actor. I, I really don't know. I, I And I almost don't even want to look because it's probably going to piss me off. Um, so I think, long story short, I went into it, I prepared myself to not like it. And, and it convinced me to love it about a half, halfway into it. And I think they did it so well. And I'll stop here in just a second, but I just want to say, the setup that they did for this writing wise and story wise was so fantastic. They made him the best human being a human being could be right. You know, you like you see these stories and, and, and they made her parents liberal, you know, pro the movement. You know, it's not like most of the times I was talking to Jenny about this, my wife, most of the times you see these stories where like, Oh, they're told in the South where it's just this kind of thing is just impossible to happen and it is a it's a huge no-no no matter what and the family hates it and all that stuff. No, they taught her her whole life 
this, this is the way the world should be. And now that's being challenged and they're trying to deal with that. And they're, they're actually dealing with what they really think in their mind's eye instead of what they're just preaching. That blew my mind. I've never seen, even since then, another movie that even remotely touched that. You know, where, where oh, we're preaching this, we're preaching this, this, this is right, this is true, and now we're being challenged on that, and we don't know how to respond to that. But being honest about it, right? It's not like a, I don't want to look ugly, so I'm going to say I'm okay with it, but really I'm, I'm internally like not okay with it. No, they were outwardly warring, right? He was talking to him, and maybe this is the, how they can get away with that in the 60s. I don't know. It'd be harder to do it now, but, you know, Sp- Spencer Tracy's character was talking to Sidney's character uh, about how he's not okay with it, why he might not be okay with it, why this is a problem, and why you're making a mistake. And he was saying all these things that were going against everything he had told his daughter her whole life. And he was being, on, he was being very honest as a character. Whether that was right or wrong is, is a, mo, a moot point to that, but he was being very honest. And I just, I thought that setup was so fantastic. And Sydney's character throughout the whole thing was so steadfast and real and honest and like just amazing. And uh, Joanna's character was so just, she didn't see color at all. She just was like, you know, the world is how it should be or should, you know, I know how the world should be. And so uh, it, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I'm going <laughs> to let somebody else talk for a minute. I, but. I, I got to say, so I'm going to let you know, he wasn't even nominated for this movie. That's ridiculous. That's, that's. But here's the thing. When you talk about how just the, the clinic that he put on, my favorite scene, like I love the movie, my favorite scene is when they are sitting out on the terrace and it is, it's, it's, it is Joanna, her mom and Dr. Prentice. So Sydney, Catherine and, and Catherine Houghton, they're all sitting out and he's looking at the sandwich. I have never seen anybody pick apart a sandwich in a way that just compelled me. He he doesn't even have to utter a line. It is the way he's watching and paying attention to this conversation that's going on about him and thinking about what he's going to do and how he's meticulously just observing and opening and closing <laughs> this little sandwich that's been put on tray before him. Like that was when I was like, what am I watching? This is amazing. <laughs> And she calls him on it, like, immediately, which really is just... Joanna's actually carrying a ton of weight on her back in this movie because she's the the lifeblood. She's the energy. She's the heartbeat of of their marriage and of their love because he's so stoic and even keeled. And you can see him bubble over whenever he's with her. That stuff comes out. But ultimately... He's expecting the worst and he's expecting that he's not, his heart's desire is not going to be fulfilled. And so we're really relying on Joanna to bring that energy and to bring that love. Um, and, and they do so many things to, to sell that, um, uh, like the eye lights, right? Basically everyone has an eye light in their close ups, but, but Joey has a lot of these catch lights 
and it's just making her sparkle, especially early in the film, you know, and they're just giving her this sparkle in her eye and it's life, it's love, it's that, you know, joy de vivre or whatever, like it's all there. And she has to carry that, you know, through her performance, which absolutely agree with you, Ty. Like it's very 60s, um, especially in some of the, the subtler moments. Uh, but at the same time, you know, she has to carry a lot on her on her back because she's the youngest character in this film being at 23, you know, playing a 23 year old and someone who's naive about the world and doesn't, she's just her. She's so innocent and pure in her views. And uh, like you were saying, her parents, right. Taught her that love is love and people are people. And we're all, we're all the same. There is no difference. And she believed it. That was her mistake in life <laughs> was believing the, that we could all possibly be equal. And she carries that with her everywhere with just such a perfect innocence um, and I, I, she, she kills me in that moment whenever, and, and I think that's such an important moment because she's carrying all this bubbly, you know, energy with her, but that moment specifically allowed her to demonstrate her intelligence, her emotional intelligence, because she's calling him out on what he's not doing and what he's trying to pretend isn't happening. Um, and she just nails it so that we can also get an insight into the relationship and that she's not just blind and in love like she actually has some understanding of who's next to her and the way he's acting and all the subtleties and nuances in his character um and it's just perfect what a great little moment um and that i've i've watched it i think three times now over the last two days and it just kills me because you're right he is pulling the sandwich far he's staring at it and she's not even looking at him she's carrying this conversation into her mom and just calls his bluff like right there uh without batting an eye and it's so perfect i yeah but for me this movie works i personally am just a I'm not huge on classics. Like I've seen a small amount of classics. I wouldn't say a lot, um, but a fair amount. And, but what gets me are intimate, small dramas. Like you give me two to five characters um, that are kind of set in one main location. Uh, and I'm good. Like I am riveted. It doesn't take much. Go listen to our before trilogy. <laughs> like I'm all about just two people sitting in a room, having a conversation sunset limited. You know, I, I, uh -huh. I thrive on that. Just good conversation. And Clyde, I think you're absolutely right, man. The writing, the dialogue, the performances all shine. And then you throw a topic that I deeply care about. And I was smitten from probably about eight to 10 minutes in I, the first time I watched it in, uh, in my mid twenties probably off of one of your recommendations like Clyde keeps going on about this movie all right let's see um and it took all of yeah eight to ten minutes I was like oh, oh okay yeah, yeah yeah this is this is going so let me let me toss a, a, a quick factoid and say before I watched this I was a big Spencer Tracy Catherine Hepburn film right so they've done this is like their ninth movie together so they, you know, if you if you like rom coms and stuff like that, you want to th you think about like, oh, I love to get Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. This is them way before, and forgive me, acting ability taken up a couple notches. Like this is this is the couple. What's fascinating is Spencer Tracy is on his deathbed in this movie. He's so like the the concern for him is such an issue that they can't get the movie insured in, in case he dies in the middle, right? So the actors come together and pay for insurance out of their own pocket. 
and he dies shortly after the film. Like, that's how important it was to them to make this film. And so when you hear that, I go, well, if they can do all that to make it, I can at least watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I just, I was, uh, I was drawn in. Like, th- uh, this is a, this is a movie that I, I, I'm, I'm often, when people go, what's your favorite movie? And I said, it was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? And I've gotten arguments about this, this meeting. I've gotten called names about this meeting. Um, I mean, we can talk about that, but. I go, this is a film that you should see, right? Like it, love it, hate it. I think you should see. I think it's an interesting film. It's worth talking about. Can we can we ask about that then? What what, what who calling you names or Okay. So early on I moved to New York and had some friends from Texas who, you know, you know, decided to come. And so I had a friend who came by to visit. You know, they were they took a trip to New York, had a friend to come by and visit. And she brought a friend of hers. Right. Girl, I never met. And when they came by, she decided, I guess she was a professor of African-American history at some junior college somewhere in Houston. She took a look at my movie collection, my DVD collection. And honestly, she called me an Uncle Tom when she saw I had guests who's coming to dinner. So we she thinking I was stupid, had a really interesting conversation about why I wasn't. And I had to tell her a little something about herself because she felt like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner wasn't the right movie in my collection. And I think she advocated for like Jason's Lyric or something like that, which I've seen. And it's a fine film, sure. But that was the thing. Like she, she called me an Uncle Tom because she felt like this wasn't a... This wasn't a movie that should be in the collection of someone representing the African diaspora. So mm, really? I disagreed. <laughs> Good for you. I mean, you did say earlier that you 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 feel there are some problematic elements um, on top of obviously the good nature of the of the the tone of the film is is a positive one, I would say. But I'm guessing like Tilly uh, is, is probably modern day, you know, brings up some issues or I don't know, maybe other things. What are the things that kind of stick out to you that you're like, Oh man, if I could make an edit, that might be the the one. So I I love Tilly. Hmm. I, I absolutely love Tilly. And the reason why I love Tilly is because Tilly shows that black people aren't a homogenous culture. Right. That Tilly's looking and she has a different viewpoint and she's looking and she's worried about kind of her place and how she's going to be be um, viewed. And there's a class issue within the African-American community that this slightly touches on. So I actually love Tilly. My issue is as incredible. So it's 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 a little bit of issue, not an issue. As incredible as Sidney Portier is and his character is and just a, a an inspiring person, did he have to be all of those things in order to be good enough to marry this woman, right? Because what we see is not only is he a doctor, but he's like, he's a young doctor. He was, you know, is on the World Health Organization. He was a professor at like, he went to John Hopkins and yet like the most prestigious places you could ever be. Right. And he's such a person where you cannot find fault in him. Right. Like I mm-hmm. like, listen, I love it. His only fault is that he was married before and his 
his wife and son died in a train accident. Like, what would have been the problem if he had a few flaws to him, right? Like, you know, that was my only thing. For the sake of the story, I felt like they had to make him airtight. Of course. But I, if he wasn't, that doesn't make him any less valid of a of, of worthiness. No, naturally. It, but I think this is where contextualizing art really helps because this is in 1967 um, huh? when this came out. You know, when this came out, MLK had just been killed, right? They had to literally edit certain lines out in order to remove an MLK reference. Um, and they ended up putting it back uh, several months later. So it's still in the version that we're watching interracial marriage wasn't legal in all 50 states as you know mr prentice says to his son at one point uh that would also change that same year 1967 was a hell of a year uh, because that was when loving v virginia would be decided in the supreme court and the 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 point right of having him be a flawless character is to make sure we can absolute with absolute certainty pinpoint what the issue is in their relationship and has mm-hmm. nothing to do with his character. It's everything to do with what he looks like. And so, yeah, I, I think it's at, for the sake of the story and to you know prove the point that they're trying to make in the 60s, uh, it's, it's absolutely mission critical. Uh, because otherwise, you know, what's, what, what you're going to have happen, of course, is um, any flaws whatsoever for a white audience would be expected to use that against him. Right. And now this is a reasonable objection. Yeah. Like, well, of course he's not a good fit for her. Look how, look how angry he gets. Right. Um, or, you know, look how he, he treats his mom, who knows, right. It, any excuse becomes mm-hmm. the right excuse. Um, and it sucks because everything you said is absolutely true and absolutely right. Is any normal person that isn't broken uh, would, would gladly nod their head to. Right. Um, but because of the context of when this came out, and why it came out in the first place, which to your point that you said at the beginning, uh, it, it's, it's a mixed, uh, it's a failure. Like 55 years later, some of these conversations are still having to happen. That's, yeah. that's a cultural you know, failure. Um, and we'll definitely dive into that um, later on, but yeah, it sucks. But I, for the sake I, of the story. Yeah. I love that you said that. And, and it, to bring it around to the clip you played, I I think that that clip is what that clip in particular. Uh, there's a few. There's a few others. Obviously, there's several, but that one in particular is for me what made this movie so amazing. Hmm. Because, and I think it's because they finally give him a personality that is possibly flawed because he's yelling at his father. Right, right, possibly flawed. He's, he yells at his father and he gets angry at his dad. And you probably have all of these, all these people watching it saying, Oh, see, see, you know, mm. no, he's not, he's not good enough. He, you know, whatever. And then he ends that whole thing with, I love you. You are my father. I will always love you, you know, and, but you are thinking this way. And I'm thinking this way. It just, it humanizes him so well. It like, it takes, it takes you as a viewer down one path as a 1967 viewer, 68 viewer, uh, going down one path of thinking one thing and then it being pulled out from under you, your ideal of, of oh, he's not perfect, being pulled out from under you like, oh, he actually is because he's human. He has emotions. I've seen his emotions and his emotions come from a good and loving place, even if they are anger. It's amazing. And there's something else he so, says in that, that line real quick that is just absolutely true. 
because he's talking to his dad, but really he's talking to all of society whenever he says, you know, it's not until you lay down and die before we can actually get forward. We can make progress and we can move ahead. Wow. Um, and that applies universally. And one of the things that I worry about with extending our lives so long is we're not going to have as much churn that we need in order to get old rotten ideas out of our, our tree, you know, and we can uh, get some new roots that actually emblemize, you know, what we say we believe in, uh, we're fighting, we die and, you know, paint the blood of the American flag with, because those things can't really take root if all you keep doing is bringing your same shitty ideas back to the forefront. Yeah. Sorry, Clyde, what were you going to say? No, I was just gonna say, okay, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Help me understand my least favorite scene in the movie. Okay. Yeah. I like this. It's just simple. I, I, I love your your thoughts. The doorbell rings. It's the butcher with the steaks. <laughs> Dorothy comes out and they dance their way back into the truck. That's sixties, man. That's the six. That's it's, why I don't it, like the sixties movie. It's just I hate you know. that scene every time I see it. I'm gonna I, be honest. I, every I, t- I just want to fast forward. And this time, I actually think I did fast forward. I, just I like, think I it does a couple I of can. things. Like on the one hand, we get to see more kind of racial harmony, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this black girl goes with this white kid, and you know we're seeing that. And it's also, I think, a bit of a comedic break, right? We're we're dealing with some pretty heavy content, and it's just like let's take a let's take a minute, let's catch our breath. Um, and they kind of have this beach blanket bingo moment, right? Where they just are jazzing out in front of the house. Um, but then it's also kind of a, a segue because from that moment, we jump into the backyard again um, with Matt and John. And they t- they're they talking about the Watusi. And it's like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, look. And, and even Matt is saying, yeah, but the black kids, man, they're – they can really, they're dancing much better than the white kids. And he's like, yeah, because we brought that dance. And it's, you know, I don't know. I don't really care if anybody agrees or disagrees with that. But it's a fun conversation that they're having an honest conversation about, you know, race and the differences. And um, and and you can see some geniality from Matt. Uh, you know, he's not over here trying to defend the great white race, right? He's a liberal and he's he's objective, I think that's kind of the point that we're trying to get at in that moment is he's being objective and objectively, man, white people just aren't dancing quite as good. <laughs> still. <laughs> but still, it's a bad, I agree. It's still a cringy moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of those moments where it's like, I, I don't, look, I love your, your explanation. That, that helps. I, I definitely, as a, I'm hearing you as a filmmaker go, Man, especially for 1967, we're hitting some pretty heavy notes. I feel like if that was made today, you keep hitting those notes without a break, mm. right? Mm. Like you just keep going through it until people are just laid out. Yeah. In 67, they wanted a, a comedic break and they took it. So that makes sense to me. I also, but I look and go, oh, I didn't need it. Like you couldn't just. You <laughs> I didn't need it. That and if listen, I know you got to give a little and love a little, but man, they got every dollar out of that song in that movie. I mean, how many times did we hear the movie? I mean, listen, I I once sat in on a on a panel where a filmmaker was talking about how 
a lot of times music in a film or a TV show is super expensive. You can blow your whole budget. And so sometimes they, if, if you're going to spend it, you're going to make sure you, you get your dollars worth. They, they're owed some money back on that one. <laughs> Woo, they really, it was everywhere. Yeah. That was Opens, like closes the, in betweens scene breaks, like background music transitions. It's like everywhere. It's so. about one license <laughs> used it the whole time. But it, it reminded me, I was, I couldn't help but think of like, like those wacky, wavy, inflatable tube man <laughs> things, you know, that they have outside of car sales of just like, you know, these things going like this. <laughs> They're just going nuts, man. They were dancing like crazy. Yeah, That's anyway. so good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'll pop through a few notes real quick and y'all jump in as, as makes you happy. As far as cinematography goes, like they use a lot of wides, right? And this is very classic filmmaking, right? And so one of the cool things about wide shots like this is it lets the actors trample each other's lines. Um, because in a wide shot, it plays easier. You don't need to cut back and forth between characters. Because when you're doing that, you want to make sure no one jumps on your line so that you have a clean edit and post instead of dialogue that's jumbled up. Because uh, now you can do the pacing the way you want. If you want to wait longer between reactions, you know, now you don't necessarily have to worry. Well, we're already hearing them trample the dialogue. Um, and therefore we need to keep continuity. So the pacing has to stay the same as the way we shot it. Um, whereas shooting wider and allowing people to trample each other's lines also makes it more available to the actors to be in the moment. This is what I'm feeling. Like there's so many times when Spencer Tracy is just talking right over. Um, he says, yep, yep, yep. You know, he's just kind of talking right over Catherine Hepburn. And I completely agree with both of y'all about her. My God, she, she carries a gravity in a way that, you know, every single word, even when she's smiling, you're just like, I'm not saying anything that you would be upset by. Like you just frighten me and I'm enthralled all at the same time. I mean, everyone in here is just incredible, but um, she's definitely got something that no other actress had. Uh, I already mentioned the highlights, but breaking the 180 rule. So this, they do this uh, at least a couple of times that I think they do it, you know, with very specific intention. And so if you don't know what the 180 rule is, think of it as the eye line between actors. So if you have like, if we, if we, look down on a little coffee table, this round little coffee table, um, and maybe even set a compass on it, north, south, east, east, west. And we had two actors sitting at it across from each other on the north and the south end. Now your, your line would be them. And normally the way you operate your camera from this point is you're going to stay either on the east side and shoot everything from that side of the table. That way you're able to orient everybody, you know, establishes the geography of the room where the characters are. And it makes it so much easier for uh, the viewer to digest the scene whenever you place them very consistently. Right. And so it's just allowing everybody to have a good feel for where everything is at. And it on set, it also allows you to put a bunch of stuff behind the camera, right? That's where you hide your, your boom operator, or maybe video villages back there so that your producers can watch and the director can watch and, and then yell cut, you know, with a big megaphone and um, scream at his actors and then, you know, do another take, um, make them all cry or whatever. And so having that 180 rule is very useful as well as breaking it because breaking the rule can make us feel a shift in the room. Because now, right, we're seeing new stuff. If you suddenly go from the east side of that table onto the west side of that table, now the background's changed, right? Now we're on a different shoulder than we were before on our actors if we're shooting these 
over the shoulder shots. And so the, there's a shift that can happen. And if you show it, the if you show the camera crossing that line, you imagine, you know, having a camera on the, the southeast side of a, of a person sitting on that table. And now you just kind of walk across behind that character and move around to the other side of them. Now that character is breaking up the frame a little bit and we can feel that shift in the room and doing that can help represent a shift in the story. And just to point out a couple examples, they do this in this film is when the dad catches on, right? Uh, Matt comes home and he's about to go play golf with Monsignor and he's meeting John. He's like, Oh yes, yes, yes. Very good. Very, very, blah, 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 blah. Um, and he's, getting he's not picking up on what everyone's throwing down it's something that joey says you know i forget the 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 exact comment but it's like yeah there's so much more to discuss isn't there mom and she's like yes and he's like okay whatever and he walks inside and he pauses and then he slowly turns around and then he walks outside that's when we break the the 180 rule because now everything's changed when before we were we had our backs to the bay we were looking at the house all the geography of that scene is happening as we're looking at the house and establishing everything there. From then on, most of that scene, it's not perfect, but most of that scene takes place with our back to the house. And now we're watching the bay. Now the 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 trouble with that is four people at, at a table, you know, presents a lot of things. But uh, Clyde, what, what do you got? Well, it's so interesting. So, I, I mean, this is why I love kind of listening to you guys is because I hadn't really thought about that before. And now I was... I. Though something about that scene drew me in, and it's because you're right. We're we're looking. He comes in to the scene, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I got to get to the, I got to get to this golf game. I got to get ready." And he starts to leave, and the camera follows him to watch him kind of come to this realization. He's in the he's literally in the middle of taking off his tie, getting ready to get in his golf clubs. And what we do, what I didn't notice was that as he turns around, we're now seeing his back. And we're now walking back into the scene with him. It, it, it was You're actually right. It's, it's amazing how they broke that. And it's a way that, to me, what I felt in that moment was, in the beginning of the moment, we know the secret that he doesn't know. And he's an outsider in that secret. And then it turned. Now we're with him, and it almost as if we don't know what we know, and we're feeling him hmm. go. Hold on a minute. What's happening? It's actually now that you mention it, I hadn't thought about it like that. It's actually fairly brilliant, like the way that's done. It's simple and completely effective because yeah, we do take on his perspective from that moment on as he's now about to get a, finally get a clue and i think he even says it right like i know i'm slow to catch on but uh, but what's going on here uh, speak plainly and i love that and then later on in the film uh they break it again and this is just as brilliant with the way they do it and so if you look at this moment when christina and matt the parents are getting ready right he's shaving we're in the bathroom and she's talking in his ear he's He's trying to drink his whiskey and shave at the same time, which doesn't end up well for him. Um, uh, but they they start the scene, the the filmmakers, right? Uh, what is it, Stanley Garner? Or, or, um, mm-hmm. But they, they start the scene, Kramer. and thank you, and by shooting into the mirror while they get cleaned up for dinner. And that establishes our line. And then about halfway into this conversation, as Christina is trying to lay something important on him, we pan over until we're now looking over his right shoulder 
And that's when Christina has something to confess, which is if he doesn't, this is going to break, you know, Joey's heart and I'm going to be on her side. You should know that now. (laughs) I'm not going to do this to you in public, but you need to know that now in private. And breaking the line there brought a new perspective to Matt's understanding of his wife and our understanding as well, because that's new information for us. We feel a shift in the story as well. Uh, because we didn't, we really didn't know. We started to get a feel, right? Because she's evolved from her first reaction to to now, um, and now that. And I love that. It's a brilliant use of a camera to establish and break the 180 rule. Because the camera almost never moves. It just we just pan. You just swivel the head, and now you you've managed to break the rule. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. That's I just think it's genius and simple. Um, and it's storytelling and it also allows us to never break, you know, cuts. We don't have to break up at all. You know, we just sit there and let them perform and do our best as filmmakers to, to not botch it. Don't screw it up. I thought, I thought it was also interesting. And uh, this is comical. This is part of like old filmmaking that, uh, the car scenes, right. They're all in a studio and they just have oh, yeah. a projector in the back. Right. Um, and they're probably, and you know, I'm, I'm assuming these are just the old school, really huge cameras, very difficult to get into a car. And these cars aren't really cars, right. They've been cut in half um, so that, you know, you can get all your lighting and they have this perfect massive lighting going on in their faces. And I think the French new wave probably helped contribute to uh, getting away and actually starting to get into cars um, if you look at some of the, the French New Wave stuff that kicked off in the late 50s and started to make its way into America. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I just I, it's hilarious to me watching some of these old films. I'm like, I lose it for a second and then I'm back. I'm all right back. Like it doesn't pull me off for too long, usually, but it, it's always going to tickle me. <laughs> going into some of the story and writing the stakes, man, I I love the stakes of this film dramas are hard, man. It's hard to, and, and usually for a romance, they, they take these easy routes. This is why most rom-coms fail abysmally with me personally. It's because the, the comedy isn't very good. And the romance is very flimsy. It's all very flake, uh, fake. Right. And we're just trying to root for these two people to get together because that's what we signed up for. Not because we believe that they should be together. (laughs) And so what they set up here is so much better because the first thing we do is fall in love with them together, right? They're adorable. They're bubbling with excitement. And from there, we finally get to meet the parents. The parents run off to cloak and dagger, right? The dad is over here making background checks, uh, which as a newspaper man, I guess it's a 50-50 if he was white, if he would do that. But you have to think probably not. Like he's probably going to. Oh, no. Right, right. As a, as a dad, I'm probably running the background check. Yeah, I don't every care every dude who comes in. I don't care if he's poking at it. One hundred percent, my friend. One hundred percent. I don't care what color you are. I, or yeah. that's so good. Race or like, like sex. I don't care. I'm running back. I'm check. I'm checking your Instagram, your Facebook. I don't care. Like I'm like. Google I'm, search. I'm, thank you. Uh, yeah. Like, let me see your computer. Open it up. Let's see what you. Yeah, yeah. Let me see your like. browser history, bro. <laughs> I'm checking everything. Uh huh. And what I love is that he walks in. John walks in after they've had this whole conversation. I can't find a fault, right? He even paid for his long distance call, right? Because again, he knows he needs to be above reproach and give them no excuse. And so John walks in 
and he hands the power to the parents. I'm not going to marry her without your approval. Now we have stakes. The stakes before are, I hope my parents like us. The stakes now are, we cannot be together if they don't. That's amazing. That's huge. And so now we need the parents to approve of their marriage without any reservations, whatever, right? That's what they keep saying. Without their approval, this relationship will be canceled. We are heavily now invested in the parents' personal views being changed because we can already feel that they're not a, they're definitely not completely on board, but we don't even know if they're a little on board. Um, and so we have a big emotional investment now in what they feel and how they think and how they view this relationship. And that's just genius for, for John to, to be written that way, to allow them uh, to have such, you know, a huge impact on the relationship. I think that's brilliant. And the way it's the way John brings it up is fantastic because he is also doing it out of concern for, you know, uh, for Joanna, he loves her. And the last thing he wants to do is to upset her or make her feel like, you know, she has to choose him or her parents. That's, that's not good for anybody. And so just incredible writing, I think, but all the characters, I think all those characters are incredibly strong, rich characters, Joanna that, you know, we've talked about, she's young, idealistic, naively Frank in her language. And even the way they name her, her naming conventions, I, I think, uh, shows growth. They, she starts out being called Joey, right. And now she's Joanna. Right. And I think that's a reflection of her maturity and, and her growth and that her relationship with John is now defining her more than all the relationships that came before. All the family and friends are not having the same weight in her life as her relationship with John. And that just little reflection is, is happening in her name itself, uh, right? When we're at the party, yeah, they call her Joey and she's like, you know what? Uh, John calls me Joanna and I think I like it. And they just immediately start calling her Joanna. That's John's influence and that's her, uh, his place in her life. Very freaking cool. Of course, John is older and experienced, right? Probably world weary. He's growing up in Jim Crow, drinking different water fountains, fighting. You can't even begin to imagine what it took to get into John Hopkins, uh, Johns Hopkins, you know, like that, let alone everything else he's done in his life. Like that's for me, unimaginable. Um, and then mom, Christina, right? Very strong, very direct. She's very collected very poised. And then you have the dad, Matt, right? He's bristly. He's thoughtful, but he's affable and he's loud. Um, and he's just, he's a little all over the place. I love that. He's so, uh, wishy-washy before he finally gets a ground, uh, on for his footing, right? He's just, it takes him a while. And I love even the before and after of finding out the, uh, their plans because he meets John. That's perfectly civil and entirely indifferent to his appearance. He's just like, this is just a human being. Hey, great. Yep. Yeah, no, nice to meet you. Oh, good. You're, you'll be there at dinner. I get to hear all about what you're doing in, in, you know, in Africa and whatever's going on in your life. And then he finds out who he really is um, because what he does isn't really who he is to him anymore. Um, and now you see that you feel that change in him. Um, and so the, the, the dad is a very strong character with points of view there. Same thing with Mr. Prentice, right? Very strong presence, speaks his mind very clearly, with a very strong point of view. Here's his son. Uh, the same thing with the before and after. Here's his son met a girl. 
that's incredibly happy to hear it until he meets her. <laughs> right. That's, that's a big shift. Um, and then Mrs. Prentice. Oh, I love her because she's such an antidote to every other one of our characters because she's also idealistic. She's very soft-spoken, but she's very forthcoming and direct. And so the way she speaks is not reflective at all of, you know, uh, a timid nature because to sit there and tell a guy you just met that you're old and burnt out and you don't remember what love is. <laughs> you just walked in this dude's house and you laid him out. Like that's, that's incredible. A powerful man who runs a newspaper, right? Like we, I feel like we don't understand that, that power mm-hmm. today because we've lost really quite a bit of respect and understanding of what it means to run a newspaper in 1967. Uh, effectively, she just said that to Rupert Murdoch. Right. We're talking mm-hmm. about someone who is the media and gets to craft the voice of San Francisco. Right. They they get to choose what goes in the paper, what the 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 whether it's going to is it going to lean left? Is he going to re- lean right? What are you going to highlight the stories? What are you going to portray? And so this is an incredibly powerful man. He's having he's he's going golfing with Monsignor. That means that he is connected politically right in one of the largest cities in the country right so when you have that type of conversation with him like that that carried a lot of weight that it's hard for us i think to understand mm. in in 2022 on what she just did right that that's effectively you just said that sitting at maybe not tim cook's house but it, it's a it, you 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 said something right there and you didn't care you were like whatever happens happens i'm putting it out there it was bold like you and you're right you wouldn't have expected from how she sat in that scene until she until she did it it's it's amazing like they they wrote such incredible characters across the board and that that's one of the hardest thing to do as a writer is to actually come up with compelling characters who have their own view and stakes in the world and their own way of presenting that like you can't just have strong characters. They each, how they present their world is just as important as what they believe within that world. Um, and they just do an absolutely fantastic job of not just the writing, but the casting and the performances are all working and absolutely like a freaking internal combustion engine. Like it's just all firing really, really, really perfectly. And so that kind of brings us to the heart of the issue, right? There are plenty of reactions in people's faces. In fact, after the opening credits, the very first shot is a reaction shot. We open not on them. We open on a cabbie and we see his face turn sour, right? And then we do a reverse shot in his rearview mirror. What he's seeing is our couple kissing, which is so incredible because romance films with this technically isn't I'll, I'll grant you this is a drama but romance films usually end with a kiss that's usually the final shot of a romance they don't open with it and so i think it's really fun for them to break convention as this whole film tackles breaking norms um and I, that's just a really smart way to open on our, our our heroes so to speak and of course there's so many reactions throughout the film right the cabbie hillary the the manager of the art gallery mom's face is pure dread when John enters the room. 
her jaw drops. She can't blink. She can't barely move. You would think the T-Rex just walked in uh, looking for a snack. Like she is just a deer in headlights and it's fantastic. But I think what's all, what all that stuff is pointing at is racism is rarely stated out loud. It's pernicious in that way. It's always going to be subtle. Um, it's short of, you know, lighting a bonfire in someone's front yard with a crucifix, uh, which is few and far between. Um, though, of course, history's shown it does happen. But more often than not, uh, the good people, right, who say they're not racist and then point to a thousand reasons why they're not racist right before they don't want you dating their daughter. <laughs> like, it's all subtle. It's all in the reaction. And that's something that's probably harder to script um, you can say it in a script, but now you're relying on the audience to pick up on a visual cue and you're relying on your actor to deliver it in the first place. And then, of course, as we talked about earlier, the heart of the issue is not his character, right? We've we've gone through that. He's got an impeccable re resume, which I think they had to build that flawless, you know, to lay bare that the real issue, what it is, because even after learning all of that, they still had reservations because it's really not about his character. It's about his color. And the dad goes on to say uh, that he's afraid for them, right? They're going to have a hard life. It's, it's obfuscating his feelings using society as his scapegoat. That's what I believe. I think that's open to interpretation, but I think that would be the reality is that he's using society's reaction uh, to disguise his own. And now he can just point to, society's the issue i'm just i'm worried for you i'm worried for my little girl please well i i think that it, it is that i think it's also uh, a very natural fear mm. right because it, it is it is so easy to have these beliefs when they don't touch you and you have nothing to really lose right but you know, as a parent, now you're talking about your children experiencing this pain. It's easy when you're talking about, hey, I believe in equality, when you're looking at other people shouldering the burden. But now when it comes into your home, it takes a certain amount of courage to stand up and say, okay. And I think that's what he was coming to terms with is this fact that he was like, he, he kind of realized I, I'm. I don't know that I'm that, I don't know that I'm that courageous. Like, mm. I, I don't want my daughter to have to suffer, even if I believe what she's suffering for is right. Right. See so that, that becomes kind of a me thing. And what I love about this is all the things that he's saying, I don't disagree with him having those questions yeah. at all. Yeah. I don't look at him and go, well, he had those questions. So, you know, he's a racist. I go, no, these are the questions that you should have. You want to look and you want to ask, well, have you thought about what, what it's going to be like for your kids? You got to ask those questions because those are real questions, right? I think the problem is we won't ask those questions. We're too scared hmm. to, to say, hey, I'm curious about this. But, but what this movie gave us was he was able to very gently present these issues in a way that didn't say, you're doing this wrong. You can't do this because I know. He was saying, I don't know, and I'm worried. He was seeking understanding, and I think that's why this movie hits differently, right? Well, yeah. But you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, it, it, he's looking and going. It's not so much like he's going. I, I don't think that he had so, as much of a problem as the problem was how that was going to show up in society. Hmm. 
and society having a problem that now he's not comfortable with dealing with. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I mean, he even says as much, right? Uh, they're go- they'll both get their brains knocked in, right? And that's a very fair and real possibility. So I, I'm not completely discounting like his his fears. I think that's a common argument for people who have an issue with this, uh, with interracial marriage, seeing their kids with someone. I think he's giving voice to their concerns um, while also I think most of those people are lying either to themselves or more likely to the person they're talking to, because really it's their discomfort that, that, that they have an issue with uh, even more, especially in modern times, right? If, if in the past 20 years, you know, 30 years, 40 years, uh, you've had an issue with someone being interracially married, uh, the issue isn't really, you know, that you're worried what society is going to do to them. The, the issue is you in my in my final analysis. Um, sorry, Todd, you want to jump in? Oh, just saying, I, I agree with that. And I think that this, I don't think this movie is going to take someone who's far right and actually, you know, in the, in the sixties, take someone who's far right and turn them left. That's not the point of, of this. No, no. It's to take all those uh, moderates to left, to somewhat left leaning who, or who think that they're left leaning and question and really question them. And say, okay, really, what side are you on? You know, or not even not even what side are you on? It, like, let's address these concerns that we know that you probably have, even if you don't speak them out loud. We're going to speak them out loud on a screen so that you don't have to. We're going to address them so that you don't have to. We're going to ask these questions, make these statements that you probably think, if you have a daughter who brings home an African-American man, th- these are questions that you probably, even if you don't ask, you would want to ask. And we're going to ask these questions in the 60s and and allow you allow you to live this out, you know, through this film so that when you come out of it, you know that, okay, really what it is, is do they love each other? Okay, they do love each other. And and obviously love is not enough. You have to prepare them. You have to, like, make sure that they understand, okay, it's 1967. It's this kind of thing is legal in California. It's not legal everywhere. Okay, you're aware of this. Okay, you want to change this? Okay, you know it's going to be hard. You really do love each other? Go for it. You know, that's the kind of thing. It's just, it's talking to that mm-hmm. section of of viewer rather than, you know, the the far right who are just going to, you know, shit all over it anyway, no matter what. Yeah, and I think that's the importance of art is just showing, even on top of everything y'all are talking about, which is absolutely right in my opinion, uh, but even just getting people comfortable with the visual of seeing an interracial couple like art is so important mm-hmm. with us progressing as a, as you know, as a human race and the ability to imagine and uh, overcome old obstacles, old ideas. And sometimes you really just need to present and put a face on it and say, this is what that looks like, you know, start getting used to it. You're not happy about, you know, gay marriage. Well, maybe we need to see gay people kissing on TV so that you can start to get comfortable with these ideas. And because this is going to be, you know, in your coffee shop next. And so if you're not comfortable just watching it in the comfort of your own home, how can you ever be comfortable with it out in public uh, where it shouldn't even matter to you in the first place? And yet this is the way cultures kind of evolved and, and, and are needed to, to, to grow because in the final analysis, as Matt says, right, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It only matters what they feel. Their love for each other reduces all other arguments uh, immaterial. Don't matter. And 
talking about contextualizing contextualizing the art of this film is really important to remember this is 1967 and so the language i think was different right they used old terminology negro colored um and so figuring out context for me is hard here because i didn't grow up in the 60s like this is way i would have had to been born like 40 or 50 years earlier to really understand the context of this film and i don't have those kinds of powers unfortunately but we should i think whenever you're watching a film uh with language that's different or ideas that are different i think it behooves us to give a a a charitable view um, especially given the good natured ideas of the film itself. If you see a film that's trying to say a good thing and all you want to take away from it is a negative portrayal, I don't think that's un- uh, a very charitable view of what someone's trying to accomplish because the goals in 67 were slightly different than they are today. Unfortunately, not entirely different. <laughs> and it's a shame that they could do a remake of this uh, in the early 2000s and still have it play incredibly well. Like it's still... Like it, it still had something to say, like the, the the remake, which I know you don't want to hear personally. That's one of the few <laughs> I I get with it. I guess I, I like guess who that's probably. And I love Bernie Mac, but I don't want to talk about that. Bernie yeah. Mac, Zoe Saldana, <laughs> man, I'm all day. I'm good. Um, but this, you know, coming out in '67, it's important to remember whenever you're starting to figure out Tilly. Uh, you know, is is she a necessary character? Is um, the way he talks to his dad necessary? Is the way the Maybe the most troubling for anyone watching this is actually Joanna. Whenever she keeps saying uh, the word Negro, it can, you know, raise the hackles on the back of your neck uh, because you're just like, Joanna, can can you say anything else? (laughs) uh, But I don't know. I'm just assuming the the best here that, you know, that's just part of the white terminology in that in that era. But I I will say, I think they what helps is the cast. Hmm. Right. Like it, it's one of those things where you're right. You do have to make sure you can't look at this with a, a 2022 lens. You, ju- you just can't because the, there's language. There are things that are just done there that were acceptable the way they looked at things or even some of the things that questions we we've progressed a little bit but you mentioned earlier in the show that this is the same year that mlk died right you know malcolm x died shortly you know a few years before this um, when you think about some of the other movies that were going on at this time it's oddly enough another movie that sydney portier was in the same year was in the heat of the night right mm-hmm. um one best is, picture yeah. one best yep. picture very different tone right and not for nothing, one best picture, you know, and you're dealing with things like, you know, we're not even at like the Archie Bunker stage, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of things coming. And I bring that up because yeah. you talk about Tilly, right? It's easy to now look back and go, okay, I can understand that that was Tilly because I'm looking at Isabel Sanford, right? I'm looking at at Wheezy from the Jeffersons. So it's like this person who who is you know acting all crazy and is upset is later going to become one of the symbols of African American progress in 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 media in television right so it's like okay maybe it would have been tough then but at least now I can look back it's like well okay if Wheezy says it's okay then it's got to like if she's like I understand she's upset here but she'll be all right yeah right so I think that's that helps so. He's, Kind of having history helps, right? Understanding who Sidney Poitier becomes, understanding, or I won't say becomes, 
who he has always been, mm. right? Part of that is because I, I read a, ver- a variety article that upset me that said, you know, one of the best things about this film, it was the first time that we see Sidney Poitier in a three-dimensional role. And I'm like, really? Because Raisin and Sun came out six years before that, and pretty sure we saw all the elements and all the three-dimensional elements that you needed to see in a character in that film. But I just, I think that, when you look and you have to, as you mentioned, Wes, you have to look at this film and understand the world around it. Um, that it, while it, it's relevant today, the history around it will really help you see it at, at its fullest. Yeah. Like I, you, you can't get away from that. You can't ignore that. You really can't. I guess final question for y'all potentially my final question anyway, and it's a simple one. But have y'all ever had this moment? Have y'all ever dated interracially and brought someone home that was a, a shock to the rents? Uh, I guess you'll ask that to me. I have, I have not. Mm-hmm. It's not been for lack of trying. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I, but I have not. I have had, <clears throat> I have had. You also went to an all boys school, so you, uh, yeah, <laughs> right, right. I didn't, I didn't go. I didn't bring that home either. Um, uh, <laughs> I I have had some issues with my father mm. uh, that, I mean, you know, we're from the South mm-hmm. and surprising issues that have come up that have made me very uncomfortable to the point where we don't speak, you know, for long periods of time until like, I don't know, I can get over it or I can talk to him about it or whatever. But I've, I've never, you know, I've never, mm. I, I haven't dated interracially, at least not African-American. Yeah. I- mm-hmm. I have, um, you know, I, I don't know that it was that surprising because, you know, I was born in Chicago, you know, kind of lived there until I was about nine. When I moved to Texas, it, it really wasn't that surprising. I went to a predominantly white school. I don't think anybody was surprised, but they, but it was, you know, you bring someone home and there are questions. They, they are a little curious. I, I would say it was more funny for my cousin uh, Jarrell, who he is black, he brought home uh, a white woman who he loved and married, and very affectionately. I, I wish I could remember her name. I don't remember her name at the moment. Um, it's been a while since uh, since I've talked to them, but they the family just adopt like they nicknamed her, you know, um, Snowflake almost immediately, <laughs> um, and that just kind of became her nickname. Um, but they loved it. Like it, it was one of those things like what? And then it was immediate acceptance. Wow. So it's, I've seen, I've seen a lot of, of different kind of reactions. Um, yeah. That's really cool. I mean, people might think that this is such an old issue, uh, but it's really not. I mean, we, Clyde and I, you know, we, we have a mutual friend who black dude married a Mexican girl and her parents cut him off. They, huh? So it's not, it doesn't even have to be a black and white thing, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of interracial issues um, all over the place. I've, I've definitely had this issue. Um, I didn't know it would be an issue. I was very much Joanna um, in that way. I was just completely oblivious uh, because the, the man who raised me is Mexican. And so there wasn't a lot of racialized stuff happening in my house. Um, and then my best friend growing up was black uh, and you know, just countless, you couldn't separate us. Right. We were just always at the hip. Um, and then, you know, my mom was uh, best friends with his mom 
and it wasn't until I was, I don't know, 17, I started dating a black girl, um, which I dated everyone. I literally didn't care. Uh, my, my one concern was <laughs> your standards were very, yeah, very, well, just whatever. are you cute? Cool. <laughs> do, do you like, like the music? I are like? you breathing? <laughs> Let's do this. Come on. As guys, it's, do you like me? Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> Thank that's, you. Glad. That's you kind of it, yes. like, like, do you like me is kind of the key. That's, right? Yeah. That's number are one. Are you nice on to me? Are you, are you <laughs> do nice I enjoy being around you? Like that's. That's the basis. Right? Honesty is. And is so I brought you know this accurate. girl home. I was dating this girl, and my mom you know realized it. And I, it was very much one of these moments that you see in the scene because I was on the phone with her, um, and mom at the. Uh, it's tough for me to talk about some of this stuff because I love my mom and I love my my family, uh, despite you know differences like this. And it's just part of loving someone, right? Um, and so my mom was also rarely home. She was newly divorced and so she was gone a lot um and so one of these nights she was home and i'm on the phone and she's asking who i'm talking to and i'll point on my wall and there's a picture of uh, me and my girlfriend together and and i could see the change happen like her countenance dropped and then within like 60 seconds she was fussing at me to get off the phone i exploded it became this whole conversation that i just never would have anticipated what i really did feel like joanna in that moment of like what's going on i i don't see because you know of who your best friend is and you know the way we've grown up is just completely different from people like like you the way you're acting like you know right now and i dated that same girl on and off throughout high school and we went to prom together both my junior senior year and those prom pictures never made the rounds they are still in a box in my my closet and so whenever I go and visit family members and I'll see, you know, one of my brothers up there on the wall and his prom tucks and his random date that no one knows who that is, you know, and it's just like, oh, yeah, my picture is never going to be up there because of who I chose to date and, you know, love at the time. And so it's just crazy that growing up, you can never see it coming until it's happened. Right. Uh, and hopefully 2022 you would think it's gotten worse because of the way everything's gone in the last you know five ten years uh but i still have this naive joanna hope that yeah we're all we're all good right like everything's good i don't know hopefully if not you know watch watch a movie called guess who's coming to dinner and reanalyze your life <laughs> look at your face <laughs> and see and see what's going on for real because you know uh, in the final analysis, it's not what someone looks like to you. It's it's really uh, what you feel for them in the first place. So, yeah. Couldn't have said it better. That's good, Wes. Short version. So, yeah. nice. Um, any final thoughts, comments on this movie, gentlemen's? Um, I, I'll say something, and I'll li- leave Clyde with the last word, I guess. Uh, just, uh, I thought, again, I thought it was fantastic. The performances were great. For the only thing I wanted to add was Catherine Hepburn. Her, I think there were two moments that won her the Oscar. The first moment was when she was looking at them, when she was in the in the study with uh, her husband, and she was looking out the window and at at Joanna and saying how happy that she'd never seen her so happy. That whole little speech there, I don't know, it was like 30 seconds, maybe a minute or something, but it was just, you could see it in her eyes. I mean, it's just, I mean, the, the eyelights that they give that woman <laughs> are amazing. It looks like she's constantly on the verge of crying. It's like amazing. Uh, the lighting is fantastic. 
that and then the scene really for me with that stuck it was like oh my god she's just so incredible when she fired her her <sighs> studio director oh my god bro when she fired she walked her out to the car this is what i want you to do and, and you've i've seen that in other movies i've seen that done in other okay here's what i want you to do da, da, da. But it, I think this might have been the first time that that was done. Okay, now I want you to write a check. And I want you to go cash that check because you don't work for me anymore. It was brilliant. It was so brilliant. And it did so many things. It told us she's on Joanna Joanna's side. And that so we, we know because at first we're like, how is she going to react? What mm. kind of character is she going to be? Because of her, her reaction when she sees him for the first time. But then we find out soon after that you know whose side she's on but then we really find out she's willing to go that extra mile of firing someone who's a jerk to him she just met him but yet she's gonna fire this woman who's worked for her for years because of how she treats him okay we know where she stands now right and then how she did it was just so fantastic and and to add to that she walks in and doesn't say what she just did she had the ability to say to tell him, I just fired that woman for being such a jerk to you. But she didn't. She didn't say, I did that because I'm on your side. She just let it be. She's like, yeah, she's she can be, what did she say? She said something like she could be a jerk sometimes. Not that, but she said, she yeah. called her like a bitch or something. I think yep. she called her a bitch in the film, didn't she? I think you're right. I, I think, I think, I think she, she did. did. I remember I, my ears perked up. I was like, she just called her a bitch bitch in 1967 uh, wow is this rated r what's up um uh anyway that those two moments were fantastic for me but clyde you can have the last or or, let let me jump one last thing uh because i i probably should clean it up a little bit uh for the record like i've dated other uh, women of color since then and my mom's gotten along fabulous with with everybody and so i feel like she has come a long way yeah i don't normally bring a lot of women home just to be fair but uh the the minor times that has happened it's it's gone really well so i think you know she's adjusted much like uh uh, christina had has adjusted um in the same way and so yes please i I think it's point uh, one more thing i think it's important you know for for stories like your mom and my dad to also make the statement of we know we know people who are less than what we hope that they would be in 2022 in regards to to racial integration right yeah. we're from the south it's just going to happen i'm sure clyde you know plenty yourself mm-hmm. that doesn't make them 100% like they're just like bad people right like they grow up in a certain way and that's just how they think things still are or still should be in certain times and they change over time hopefully they change because we're different and and because you know they 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 integrate more and and all that stuff so yeah i'm glad you brought that up wes and we're we're honest and open about that and and uh like my dad is a really really wonderful human being i know that your mom is too she's amazing it just you know they fall short at sometimes and it hurts us you know in in a lot of ways so. well, well said. Anyway. And i want to add to that you know this film takes aim at race and i do think that that in 2022 is an important thing to consider. But Todd, to your point, I think the broader question is, what is your 1976 race issue, right? And it could be a number of things. And when we think about 
you know, Todd, earlier you said take a look in the mirror. Like there's there are a number of topics that we can take a little uh, look in the mirror on. Is it your politics? Right. Is it is it religion or spirituality? Is it gender issues? Is it sexual orientation? Like whatever it is. I think I think what this film tells us is whatever you think you are. Like, ask yourself the hard questions. Like, look at the mirror and examine, like, if you're called to task on those things, where do you line up and can you grow? And I think what we see in this film in particular is it, it, it's one of those things that, that you have to ask yourself, do I know anyone? Right? Not what I've seen on television or read or, or seen in the movies, but do I know anyone? Have I taken an opportunity to get to know, and not just one, but a number of people, right? And because I think the thing that was interesting about this is when they got to know John Prentice, they're looking at him and going, hard or not, like, I like you. Like, I like what you're doing. I like what you're saying. I like who you are. I like who my daughter is around you. I like what your life is going to, like, what the possibilities for your life. Like, I like you. And I think that's the key is that if you, if there's someone that, if there, if there's an issue that you're ready to die on a hill, my question to you is, who do you know? How much time have you spent in that community? Like, what do you know about those people before you, before you put them in a box? And that was the thing. I think that in a larger sense, was the thing that was interesting to to me about this film is yes, I do. And again, I do think that race is something that we need to keep talking about. Um, and I'm surprised that we have to keep talking about it, but it's not just race that we have to ask ourselves hard questions about. Well said. So we'll move into the end of the uh, show with uh, recommendations. Todd, I'll let you go first. So just in case Clyde hasn't thought of anything yet, what are you, what are you going to recommend this week, Todd? Uh, make it good, make it life changing, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna recommend The Witcher. I've started watching it, the season two, and it's just some just a. I love Cavill. I think he's he's really strong in this role, and I liked the video game a lot, and I like what they're doing with the season. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna re- recommend The Witcher. Witcher season two, nice. Clyde, you got something for me? Yeah. Um, it, look, I'm I'm gonna go with TV because that's my home. Um, there's a couple of things I could recommend from a a film standpoint, but if you have not seen the TV show Grand Crew, check out Grand Crew. It's, it's, you know, call it your Black History Month watching if you want, but it is a show about a group of kind of black men and one black woman and they're in L.A., kind of middle class trying to figure it out like it's it's a comedy it's fun it's different they're hanging out at wine bars trying to figure out romance it's a lot of fun so if you get a chance check out grand crew nice. it's available on hulu well done I, I will check that out um, i'm gonna recommend a movie called bell so if you're looking for something that tackles race again maybe even more historical i've I'm more and more I'm having a hard time watching historical uh, films about slavery. And um, I, I feel like I've, I've got enough in the tank on that, on that topic. And so it's hard for me to find those, a, a really good historical piece that deals with race in a new um, and fresh way. And I think bell is that, is that movie um, it's, I think it's absolutely fantastic and highly underrated because it uh, tells a, a mostly true story. I think they take some liberties, um, but it stars Gugu Mbatha-Raw, uh, who is absolutely phenomenal. And it breaks my heart that she's not a huge 
bigger star than she is um, because she's incredibly talented. Uh, it's also got Tom Wilkinson, um, who plays her dad. She plays someone who's mixed race and what happens in society back in, I think it's the 1700s in that era. And her sister, uh, played by Sarah Gadon, um, who's also incredible. God, uh, the cast, I think, is phenomenal in this in this film. And so it's it's both about, you know, her um, and her place in society as, uh, you know, someone of mixed race. And as well as, you know, it talks about slavery and I forget what country we're in, probably I'm guessing Britain, but not 100 percent sure. Yeah. And so it's a period piece. You get all these beautiful dresses um, and it's inspired by a painting, a very real painting of these two sisters, one white and one black. And to, to I think the, the writer came across this painting and was just like, what is going on? Because you have this beautiful black woman and this beautiful white girl in this painting together. And there's really even within the painting itself. There's some very interesting elements about uh, the way they present their equality uh, within the painting. Um, and so uh, it's an incredible film. I really love it. It's it's a romance as well as a drama. Uh, and if you can watch that and not at least drop a few tears, I would be surprised. Um, but yeah, I think it's an uh, excellent film worth watching. So Bell, B-E-L-L-E, um, as you would probably anticipate. Yeah, so... Stay tuned for next week when we lose Clyde, unfortunately. We're going to be covering The Count of Monte Cristo, circa, I, I forget what that is, 2001, um, with Jim Caviezel. Uh, and if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes um, or wherever you listen, and leave us a note if you want us to talk about something, uh, about the kind of things you find interesting. want to give a couple of shout-outs. I discovered that we have followers on CastBox. I've never heard of CastBox, but it's a real thing. I, I'm pretty sure unless I've been hacked again, uh, it happens. <laughs> and so, but we have a couple comments from uh, uh, some people on CastBox. Medea Sin, she she commented, I'm guessing right after last year's episode on Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, she, she said, the name Diana comes from the Roman goddess of the same name, which I'm pretty sure I had some... Uh, uh, jokes about the naming convention of Diana, uh, mm -hmm. which also shows my lack of understanding of Roman mythology. I'm much more on the Greek side. Um, and so thank you, Medea Sin, for that correction. And uh, another note from Release the Kraken, which is an incredibly insightful comment when he said, or she, I don't, I don't know if the Kraken is uh, gender specific, but they, they said, I love this podcast with an exclamation point. And so... Well done. Release the Kraken. We shall release I, the I disagree. I 100% disagree. <laughs> Get it together, release the Kraken. Absolutely terrible podcast. But, but, you know, opinion. Yeah, a dime a dozen. <laughs> uh, and if you want to leave a note on this episode and, and weigh in on the multitude of things we've said over the course of this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash guess who's coming to dinner. And we'll leave you with a quote of the day from Martin Luther King Jr., in a truly integrated society, interracial marriage should be legal. This is not a true problem since individuals marry, not races. You know, I th this is a, so one of the one of the reasons why certain people are timeless is because they take a statement that you know to be true and they tell you in a way that you couldn't that that you don't expect, right? One of the reasons why Bono is one of the greatest lyricists for me is because he'll say something that I already know is true in a new way that I've never heard before. And this is a reason why 
Martin Luther King Jr. is just, you know, forever timeless. Like that is like, duh. Yeah, obviously individuals marry, not races, but it's so easy to forget that you just, because you just use your eyes and not, you know, to, to see things. So absolutely. Know. And it's, it's right. such a time of the signs for one. The reason I, I pulled him specifically was because he's invoked in the, in the film at one point. Um, and then I was just curious, like, did he ever speak about interracial marriage and the, the, t- the sign of the times is right there in the quote, right? It interracial marriage should be legal. The fact that that has to be stated is really, uh, you know, puts you into perspective of what they were really dealing with. They're over here, you know, fighting for yeah, equality and we're, we're, we can't even marry each other in certain parts of the country. That's insane that we, we would allow the state uh, to have that much power over our lives. Um, and it, and it still persists. I mean, it's, it's only within the last, what, 10 years that, you know, we've, we've allowed same sex marriage. Like that's insane where this is clearly not behind us. The idea of uh, autonomy and looking at people as individuals instead of as blocks of people, like, like Clyde said earlier, like black people are not, you know, uh, a monolith. White people are not a monolith. Stop seeing people as what they are a part of and start seeing them as themselves and as individuals. And I think that's really the only you know way forward is to start seeing individuals mm-hmm. instead of groups of people. Yeah. Clyde, thoughts? Couldn't agree more. No, I think you guys have, have covered it. I mean, I think as a society, we need to grow up a little bit. Um, I'm encouraged that art, film, television in particular are asking questions and pushing us to reconsider our our ideals. I just hope that that we can be thoughtful enough about our entertainment choices, what's going on. We can have discussions like this. We can be thought-provoking, challenging in a way that we grow and not just – you know, it's so easy with so much entertainment available to us. And, and you know, we talk about, you know, Matt being a leader of a newspaper today, we get to choose the news that we want based on how we feel and what we want to hear. Right. So we can, we, we're in, we're in echo chambers today. Um, and so I just, I, I hope that films like this um, we'll continue to challenge us to get out of the echo chamber and ask ourselves the hard questions, whatever those questions will be. Um, I'm, I am so thrilled that you guys asked me to be on this podcast with you. Um, this has been a truly uh, just outstanding time for me to talk about something that has been near and dear to my heart. Um, I don't get a chance to talk about this very often. So thank you for that. And I, I appreciate hanging out with you guys for a couple hours. Absolutely, man. Thanks for making time. I know this, you, I've, 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 from the beginning, from episode one, I've had a list of people in my head that I wanted to, to have on the show. Uh, and you were, and Key were obviously like right up there, top of my list. And so I'm glad. I, I think I only have two more people on my, on my mental checklist, but uh, it was really important. And so I threw it out to you whenever I saw you in LA, uh, you know, a couple months ago. I was like, hey, you should come on. Let me, what movie do you think you would want to cover? And because you, you didn't come up with anything, I was like, I already know then like this is game over like uh but regardless i'd love to have you back you know we can pick uh hey let me know i'm happy (laughs) to come back like you're like i I love talking i love talking you know media so i'm in nice take us home todd 
Oh yeah, you already read. I guess you already read all the uh, recommendations and all the everything. Okay. Did you do count? Did you tell say what we're doing next week? Uh huh. Uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, we, I guess we just kept talking so long. I forgot. <laughs> forgot you did all that. Jeez. All right. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much, Clyde, for do, for being with us, man. I, I, this is definitely up there, one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I just thought that this was such a great conversation, great movie. Thank you for making me watch it. I don't think I would have watched it had you not had you not wanted to do this. So thank you very much, and thank you guys all for listening. I know it's been a long one, but I but hopefully you've gotten something out of it, like we have. Uh, and join us next week when um, <laughs> when we do Count of Monte Cristo. Can't wait for that. And make sure to subscribe, review us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. And until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.